1: 6.
2: Hey everybody, happy Tuesday here for the 643 Podcast Brought to you by 680 The Fan and the Dickey Broadcasting Corporation Found on the Podcast Park, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify Pretty much wherever you like to listen to your podcasts You can find the 643 Podcast coming to you every Tuesday and Thursday Nothing is quite as good as a double play That's why I bring you two episodes every single week Just a little heads up for everybody, again, I will not be doing the Saturday show this week as I will be out of town, so we're going to have to throw a lot of stuff into today's and Thursday's episode, starting with the Braves eager to turn the calendar over, gets started a four-game, three-day stretch against the Mets. Austin Riley continues doing things that we should be used to seeing as Braves fans at this point. Brian Snicker made a very bold decision, and it worked out very, very well. And the Braves were going to get a shot today to, one, get to see Kyle Wright again, but get a shot to see if Charlie Morton can turn it around. And also, something that was revealed by Jeff Passan about Major League Baseball and the umpires in regards to the litany of bad calls that maybe will we'll explain a few things and also maybe make you ask a few more questions. We'll touch on all of those on today's episode, but let's get the best news out of the way first, and that is that the Braves went into New York last night after inexplicably losing a series to the lowly Texas Rangers to cap off what was an awful April, where the Braves had the easiest schedule in Major League Baseball and still managed to be three games under five hundred. Needed to start May off right, so they turned to Max Freed, the number one pitcher on the rotation, the ace of the staff, if you will, even though I hate that term. And Max responded by doing what Max has done for pretty much this entire season. As Max went six innings, allowed four hits, two earned runs, one home run to Mark Hanna, six strikeouts. Also had a wild pitch, which is a little bit odd from him. But overall, Max went out there and continued to show that Max is not just the best pitcher on the Braves, which he is, although you can make a case for Kyle Wright right now, as Kyle Wright technically is the leader uh, in war for the Braves pitchers. But what Max has been able to do is to shoulder that load of being the, the kind of ace on the staff or the number one in the, in the rotation. And he's responded by having one of the most brilliant starts to a season he's ever had. He, is at, he has had one walk this season, and he has not walked a single batter, I believe, in his last four starts. It's his last four, his last three. Uh, so over the course of his 30 innings pitch this year, he's got a K per nine of 8.1 to a walk per nine of .30, his lowest home run rate of any year outside of 2020 at .6. He's, uh, he's not getting hit very hard, which is typical max. And actually, he's not leaving as many runners stranded as he actually typically does so there's actually, he's actually pitched better than his overall ERA, which is sitting right at 3.0 with a FIP of 2.45. Max has been stupendous. And he, he we're used to seeing this from Max. This is kind of what he does. He's very, very good at limiting hard contact, doesn't give up a lot of hard hit fly balls, and just seems to, even when he doesn't have his best stuff, he just seems to, to be so good at navigating lineups that even if he's not racking up outlandish strikeout numbers. He's just impossible to square up, and he's impossible to for hitters to stay ahead of. He's got four pitches, really five, but he's been using four a lot more. The changeup has been a much-needed uh, much addition to that arsenal. I've been waiting for him to use his changeup more for the last couple of years, and he's finally started using it more, and it's really paying dividends for him. In uh, the Braves last night, they mustered up five runs off of eight hits. They did have one home run, which we'll get to here in a second, but it was good. It was a good look for most of the Braves lineup. Uh, A lot of the guys have been struggling a little bit as, as we've kind of seen Matt Olson struggle mightily lately. Ronald Acuna is still trying to get the timing down. There's also some other uh, issues going on that are that are hurting uh, Ronald Acuna more than they should be. Uh, Marcelo Zuna has kind of continued to struggle as he's dropped all the way down to 245 with a 280 OBP. Adam Duvall continues struggling. Uh, Dansby, he had a little hot stretch for a minute, but he, he wasn't great last night. But luckily, the guys that we've come to rely on early in the year, Austin Riley, Ozzie Albies, Travis darno they were fantastic last night. And they continued doing their thing. Austin Riley with a big home run yesterday. That gives him the team lead at seven. Uh, just, just a – I can't talk enough about Austin Riley. We're going to get to him really in a second. But I, I really want to continue focusing on Max because – while we here in Braves country, we know that Max is elite. And I mean elite-elite. But one thing that we maybe kind of don't quite talk enough about is that while Max I Max is an actual ace in baseball, I know he doesn't have the strikeout numbers that a lot of other aces do, but he is without a doubt an ace. And not just that, we've reached the point where he might be, that you have a real case for saying that Max Freed is the best left-handed pitcher in baseball. Now, this year it's Carlos Rodon. And you could say you could you could easily say that Carlos Rodon is is the best left handed pitcher in baseball. He's been fantastic the last year and a half or so. But he also never finishes out a season, and I'm not sure uh, you should ever bank on him to pitch more than 130 innings. So if you can't do that, the best the best ability is available uh, is availability. And unfortunately for Carlos Rodon, it hasn't been a great uh, pathway to that as of yet in his career. But he's, I don't want to take any away from him. He's certainly fantastic. But he's only made it past 140. He's only made it to 140 innings once in his big league career. So I'm not going to crown him over Max. Now, if you just go by War, he's the number one lefty in baseball. He's sitting at 1.2 already. But what you're seeing from Max Freed certainly has him in that conversation. For Max, it has been consistent. It's been consistent really since he entered the starting rotation in 2019. This is what he's been. Now, he gets better every single year, and he finds way to limit contact and limit hard contact more and more every single year. We saw what he did in the World Series game, which was just incredible, getting stepped on, looked like he was going to snap his ankle, and then came out and, and had a performance for the ages that kind of gets overshadowed by the Jorge Soler super bomb. But Max is that guy. Max is that guy that's built the way that that Braves fans adore the way that we remember the the big three of Maddox Glavin and Smoltz he's he's built that same way and he does it just by being great and he's throwing faster than ever he's averaging about uh, 0.7 miles per hour faster on his fastball essentially he's averaging about a 95 mile hour fastball this year last year it was 94 the year before that it was like 93.7 so he's slowly adding more and more velocity he's just entering his prime he's 28 years old now uh, he's got one of the best curveballs in all of baseball. And right now his chase rate is in the 99th percentile to go with a 97th percentile walk rate. So he's getting his stuff is just fully nasty. There's there's there are a few pitchers in baseball that have a pitch as good as Max Fried's curve. And that would be Kyle Wright's curve. And typically that would be Charlie Morton's curve, which he's not really doing it right now. But he's also spotting up his pitches incredibly. And he's throwing his change up about 12% of the time. He's throwing a sinker about close to 12% of the time, which is a marked difference for him. He's not leaning on the four-seam quite that often. He's throwing that about 33%, 23.5% for the curveball, and 19.5% for the slider. So he's mixing up his pitches, and he throws all of these pitches in different locations. If you look up his heat maps, you can kind of see the way that Max looks to pitch. And he's a very, a very methodical pitcher. He thinks very far ahead, and he tries to set hitters up. And he just does a great job at it. And while Kyle Wright has taken a little bit of the shine from Max Freed this year, we do him a big disservice when we don't talk about just how incredible Max has been this year as well. Just one walk so far this season for him is absolutely incredible. But it's not just Max that's playing well. Austin Riley, I mentioned this in the lead up to the, to the episode today. Austin Riley continues to torch the Mets. And we should be used to this as Braves fans. We're used to seeing third baseman kill the Mets. Well, Austin Riley has taken that Chipper Jones tradition, and he's completely run with it. He is absolutely crushing the New York Mets. Not just this year, not just last year, but in I believe it's something like seventy-two or seventy-three at bats. He is—he's uh, got nine homers. It, it's just un- unreal levels of power that you see from Austin. And one of the key pieces for it is he hit a home run off of Chris Bassett. Now, Bassett did kind of you know, leave one down the pipe, which you don't want to do for Austin Riley, but it hasn't really mattered for Austin this year, and it hasn't really mattered what you want to throw him because Austin has gone from when he, cu- when he came up to essentially being Dansby Swanson versus sliders. Austin Riley has become the best slider hitter in Major League Baseball, and that is an incredible development. It is not very often that you see a guy be one of the worst hitters in baseball hitting a certain pitch, and in the span of like two and a half years, if that, become the best hitter in baseball against that pitch. That is an incredible feat. and needs to be talked about more. And I think that ability to to adjust to certain pitches like that, and I... And Again, there's a lot of you that have listened to me before I started this show. So you guys know, I've not been the biggest Austin Riley guy. Uh, I, I did not quite believe that Austin was going to be... I, I thought Austin was going to have to pick between average and power. I never thought that he would be able to put both of those together. I thought that he was going to have to be a guy that would pick, that just because I thought his, his swing was a little bit slower, and he needed he, he would have to just kind of guess at times. Well, haven't really had to see him do that very much as he, he took what I thought, took what most people thought, took what Chipper Jones told him, and created something that was completely his own. He's kind of combined Chipper Jones and Josh Donaldson in one package, which is scary, a scary proposition. You've actually seen him this year start out the best you've ever seen him, and that's being very unlucky by his standards. He's got a strikeout percentage under 22%, and his walk percentage is nearly at 10%. That is... That is the highest walk rate of his career and that is the lowest strikeout rate of his career paired with his highest power numbers of his career and his lowest batting average on balls in play uh, really since 2020. I don't really want to count 2019. It wasn't a lot of time, but basically 305. You're looking at a guy who is who has been crushing the baseball, 284, 376 with a 602 slugging. That's uh, <laughs> a 428 Waba, which you'd be like, oh, well, that's not sustainable, except he's actually been unlucky by about four. Forty points by exactly 40 points. His expected weighted on base average is actually 468. All of that to say, Austin Riley has quickly transformed into one of the most dangerous hitters in all of Major League Baseball, 179 WRC+. Now, yes, he'll go through stretches where he's not going to do this the full season. He's going to slump at some point. It, it, Everybody slumps at some point. But it does back up the fact of what we're all seeing that Austin might be the most dangerous hitter in this lineup, not named Ronald Acuna. And, and this is going to sound crazy to say, he's not that far off from Ronald as far as in terms of just overall damage. Now, obviously he doesn't have the speed that Ronald Acuna does. He doesn't have the explosion that Ronald Acuna does. But Austin has, he's got the ability to be able to adjust mid at bat to pitches He's giving really difficult at-bats all the way through. And if you pull up his stat cast numbers, it is amazing to look at. Exit velocity, 95th percentile. Max exit velocity, 98th percentile. Hard hit percentage, 98th percentile. Expected weighted on base average, 99th percentile. Expected batting average, 96th percentile. Expected slugging, 98th percentile. Barrel percentage, 95th percentile percentile to so go with a 63rd percentile walk a 54th percentile chase rate which has been climbing a 64th percentile speed sprint speed which is crazy when you look at this dude they list him at 63, 240 I really wouldn't be shocked if he's closer to 250 he's a monster of a guy just tons of power and even if his defense isn't grading out well I don't like using outs above average for infield defense frankly I don't believe it tells the full story but he's averaging 93 miles an hour off of the bat this year. It has been just an incredible run for him. Over 50 percent of the time, over 57 percent of the time, he's hitting a ball 95 miles an hour plus. He is just on a different planet right now offensively. And for the Braves, I honestly I think it's time to move Austin Riley to the two hole have Austin be right behind Ronald, have Matt be behind Austin and then have Marcel be behind Matt Olson. Olson has been struggling for a bit. Now this is something that Olson tends to do. He will he will be kind of streaky at times. That's why he's never really carried a super high batting average outside of last year, but I'm not worried about Matt Olson. That power is going to come in spades. I know he's only got a couple home runs right now. That will change. Matt Olson has too much power to be stuck with a 169 ISO, which is the second low lowest of his career outside of a little of a little tasting of the big leagues in 2016, but he's still taking his walks. He's still got a 141 WRC plus. He's still been a positive player. Still been very good, but nothing like Austin Riley, who we're at the point now where we need to really be out there and say that not only does Austin Riley have a chance to be a top two third baseman in all of major league baseball, he's got an MVP opportunity. Now it's going to be hard to win one with Ronald Acuna on that same team for him. But Austin Riley right now has been worth a full 1.1 F4. That's after being worth 4.7 last year. This this Austin Riley, I don't want to say that there's a limit to what he can be because he can be the best third baseman in baseball. He can be the second best, depending on what you feel about Jose Ramirez
3: Book your stay today at Camp Margaritaville, Lanier Islands.com.
2: Austin has a chance to be one of those truly, truly elite players. And the Braves have a chance to have developed from their own farm system Ronald Acuna, Austin Riley, and Ozzie Albies. It's an incredible run, and it's something that I, I think you're seeing right blossom right in front of you. And I don't know the ceiling for Austin at this point. At this point, I, I would be genuinely surprised and genuinely shocked if we don't see Austin eclipse a six war season here in the next couple of years, which would be truly elite from a third base perspective. I think at this point I'd take him over Nolan Arenado. I would take him over anybody is what I'm saying right now, especially with how young he is. He still hasn't hit his physical prime. There's so much happening and it's not just Austin. This series as Travis Darnot continues to just torture his former team, the New York Mets, as he uh, went uh, three for four last night dunked a a go-ahead double down the right field line. And Travis is living right right now. 333 average, 354 OBP with a 508 slugging for the catcher, uh, who looks like he is back on his 2020 grind and and looks incredible, Uh, which is such a boon for this team when you can have the catcher giving you really good offensive numbers as well as Travis being such a, a great guy to pitch to. It's very impressive. And he made a a slight swing change. And I don't know how much power he's going to show all year. At this rate, if he continues at this rate, he'll probably pop between 16 and 20, which is perfectly fine. And he's not going to be a guy that's going to hit 300 all year. But if he hits 255 to 270, that's great for a guy that's really good at working with pitchers. And for a position that you generally just assume isn't going to be great offensively because the grind that that catching takes on your body, Right now, Travis looks completely locked in. He's hitting the ball really hard. He's he's hitting up in the zone really well, leveling off really well. And you know there'll be some strikeouts from from time to time. That that you know you just kind of get over that. But he looks great in the box. He's having a ton of fun, and frankly, he's been he's been one, he's been one of the more consistent Braves. And it's been needed because you haven't had a lot of the guys that we were kind of counting on to step up so far this season. And Travis has done a great job. Now, his if you look at his stat cast page, you'll see a lot of red. You'll see a lot of blue because Travis is kind of an all or nothing. He's either near the top of something or, or near the very bottom of it. Uh, but he's done exceptionally well so far this season. And it actually looks like he's been a little bit unlucky as well. And that that's a, such a boon to this Braves team when Travis can hit like this. And he can move up in the order to protect from like Adam Duvall, who's been really, really struggling all season long Uh, this is something that I worried about with Duvall playing center field he's been an exceptional defensive center fielder I don't want to take that from him he has been exceptional in the field but the problem is having to play center field can sap your your legs which will affect your offense and for Duvall he doesn't take a lot of walks he's so home run dependent one changing the baseball was not good for him that hurt him a lot But it does, when he has to play center field, and especially when he has to play center field with two bad defenders in the corner slots like he did early this season, it can really sap your leg drive and really sap your offense. So I I really, I'd like to see Doobie get into a bit of a groove. And he he will at some point. This is kind of what he does. Until then, we can continue seeing Michael Harris just putting up absurd numbers and now starting to hit for power at double A's. It's just too easy for him. It's time for him to move up to Gwinnett. Drew Waters got called up to Gwinnett today. Uh, Not that they're going to replace Adam Duvall, but we are getting to a point where it's time to move him down in the order uh, and and, and let him kind of work things out down at the bottom, the same way that we let Dansby move down at the bottom. Because while Duvall looks big and thick, and he is thick, he's very fast for his size, he's very athletic, and he's an exceptional defender. So take a little bit of pressure off of his bat and get to the point with him where it's kind of like whatever he gives you offensively, fine. Uh, Now, if you come across a center field upgrade, fine, whatever. You can move him back to left, which I think would help his offense. Uh, But one thing that I I love seeing, and I'm going to move off of Duvall because I don't have a lot of time left in this one. I don't want to spend the rest of it talking about Adam Duvall because there was something else yesterday that happened uh, where Max Fried started out the game kind of rough, allowed a lot of base runners in the first couple of innings. After the second inning, I believe it was, he allowed one hit after the second inning. Just fantastic showing by Max locking down. Uh, but it did kind of leave a dilemma where in the 6th inning, I believe it was 2-2. Two to two, uh, In the 6th inning, yeah, in the 6th inning, after the top of the 6th inning, it was tied 2-2. Two to two. So Max leaves the game after the 6th. There was some thoughts about, well, maybe Max will go back out there for the 7th because he'd thrown 90 pitches. And Max is a guy that, you know, especially when he's pitching well, you don't really look at pitch counts the same for Max that you do look at others. I thought he was getting a little tired. And Brian Snicker decided to go ahead and go to the bullpen which with a doubleheader today, you could have made the case that maybe he should have tried to sneak another inning out of Max Fried to save one inning of bullpen. But I really liked the move by Brian Snicker to go to the bullpen yesterday. The Braves have been scuffling. They just lost the series to Texas. You're playing the number one team in the division and the Mets have been playing great baseball all year. And Brian Snicker decided he would rather go for the momentum play early. And I mention this all the time, but with the Braves, there's such a momentum-driven team that you need to grab hold of that, and that momentum can carry them forward. So Snicker made the call to play for the win in game one, knowing that there were going to be four games in three days, including two, including a doubleheader today. He went ahead and called on the bullpen in the seventh inning and, and rolled with the bullpen. Even if Tyler Matzik didn't respond outstanding, Tyler wasn't exactly great or on his best stuff. He's been kind of off to start the year. But the Braves' bullpen was locked down. They allowed two walks, which were Matzik's, and one hit, which is Kinley Jansen's, but no no runs across. They completely held it down, which they're supposed to do, and the Braves go and they take game one. And By the way, I should have said Max Fried had uh, four hits allowed. So yeah, one hit after the second inning, and that was the home run to Mark Canna, I think? Um, that might have been in the second inning. Don't quote me on that. But... I thought it was a brilliant call by Brian Snicker. And we, I talk about Snicker a lot when he makes bad decisions because that's what we tend to do with, with managers. We tend to kind of excoriate them when they make bad calls and when they make good moves, it's like, well, yeah, the numbers were there. Good job. You did what I've been wanting you to do. Uh, but last night was a very good call by Brian Snicker. He could have easily gone the other way. And there's nothing to say it wouldn't have worked out that way. But Snicker knew how important getting game one was and how much better it is to, to be leading a series at the start of it knowing that you only need to win one more to split it. The Mets, at some point, have to win two games in a row, which you feel good about. As you go into today, uh, with Charlie, who has struggled really badly this year, need to see Charlie have a good start, but it'll be Charlie versus Carlos Carrasco for the Mets, who has been pretty good. Don't let the 409 ERA fool you. He's been really good in his own right. 23 strikeouts in 22 innings for him and a whip under one. So he's he's been pretty lights out. And Charlie has been the exact opposite of that. Need to see Charlie get something together before the night game, uh, which will be Kyle Wright versus uh, David Peterson. He's kind of the guy that floats around for the Mets, who's been very, very good for them so far. A .64 ERA in 14 innings, 10 strikeouts to 5 walks. That's a whip of 1. Now, he hasn't been Kyle Wright good, but that's a good matchup. But he is a lefty, which means that you feel really good about the Braves' opportunities and being able to flop Ozzy around right-handed. We will see Ronald in at least one of the games today, probably the night game if I had to make my guess, which will lead into tomorrow's 1-10 start, uh, which will be Ian Anderson versus Tyler McGill. So you don't see Max Scherzer. Uh, Not that I'm that worried about Max Scherzer. The Braves have faced him enough to where I don't have that same mystique for Max Scherzer, but that actually looks like it's going to be the toughest matchup of the series as Tyler McGill has been outstanding. Don't ask me how this guy just just crept under the radar of everybody, but that's a guy that the Mets have to be feeling fantastic about. He was And he wasn't even on their opening, he wasn't in their opening rotation. He ended up being their opening day starter because of injuries to Jacob DeGrom and injuries to Max Scherzer, and Tyler McGill ended up being a guy, but I don't believe he was planned on being one of the five rotation pieces. I and mean, he's just been outstanding. So for the Braves, you do have your work cut out for you. You messed around in the weakest part of your schedule, and you didn't do so well in April. Now, in May, its not, I don't want to say it's the toughest schedule in the league, but it's not nearly as easy. as You've got these games with the Mets. Then you get three versus the Brewers, and that'll be in Milwaukee. The Brewers are a really strong team. Then you get two versus the Red Sox, who are scuffling. Then you get three versus San Diego. The Brewers come to – or actually, I take that back. You'll be at home for the Brewers. You'll, you'll go back to Atlanta after Wednesday. You'll get an off day Thursday. And then you start up a trip with the uh, the Brewers come to town, the Red Sox come to town, the Padres come to town. Then you go to Milwaukee, go to Miami. Then you come back home to face four with the Phillies. The Phillies aren't that good; they can't play defense. So you get to end the you get to end the month well. You just got to get to the twentieth. Once you get to May twentieth, the schedule evens out for the month. But up until then, it's going to be a rough run. The Braves are going to face some really good pitching, and they're going to have their work cut out for them. And it all starts with this series. Set the tone right against the Mets. If you can take both of the games today, I'd obviously love it. But at at, mo- or at absolute worst, take one of them. And that's, you can, if you can make get yourself a split and give your, your, yourself a chance to, to win the series overall, that's all you really look to do. And that's, that's what I think the Braves are on target to do. And the Braves need to grab these wins any way they can because I don't know if you guys are on Twitter. If you're not, you should be just for following Jeff Passan. We've, we've talked a lot this year about the bad calls that the umpires are making. And Ronald Acuna has unfortunately been on the receiving end of most of those. If you've watched his, his at-bats, a lot of his strikeouts that he's being rung up for on third strikes are not strikes. And a lot of people are wondering, how in the heck are baseball umpires this bad? Well, Jeff Passan had kind of a bombshell piece where he revealed Major League Baseball does not use the same strike zone when judging the accuracy of umpires that they list in the rule book. They actually allow a two-inch allowance off of the corners. And this answers a lot of questions because there have been a lot of hitters that have been rung up on, frankly, on balls that had at no point had any part of the plate. And it looks bad because it is bad because they're not strikes. The crazier part of this is that Major League Baseball uses this strike zone and it's collectively bargained with the umpire's union. Which, if you're wondering how can umpires continue to be this bad, it's because they must have the best union in the history of unions. But when you look at, at these bad calls going on throughout baseball, don't forget, don't ever, don't, don't let this slide by, that Major League Baseball did this to itself. So they're killing off the baseball to take away from home runs, but they're allowing umpires to be worse and worse and worse, and they're blacking out all the games in your area on the other side of this. I, I say it and I laugh about it because it's hilarious, but... The higher-ups at Major League Baseball, they're either just secret agents that are trying to destroy baseball, or they're the dumbest people in all of professional sports, and it is crazy. You're going to see guys that are just going to have to go up there and, and figure it out we're going to have robot arms because this is not something that players are going to stand for. You're seeing hitters get more and more bent out of shape over it because it's, it's just you can't be asked to hit pitches that are nasty pitches that are strikes and also have to hit these pitches that are never strikes that you can't do anything with. You, something has to give. You can't keep giving this type of allowance. And if you're Major League Baseball, dude, you got to be transparent with the strike zone that you're using. It's, it's inexcusable for them to do that, to have two different strike zones to, to begin with. I don't know why the K zone is, is what it is if that's not the strike zone that the umpires are using. It doesn't make any sort of sense to me at all. So when you're asking what to make of it, I don't know whether to laugh or be angry. I'm kind of both. And I I don't know what the solution is outside of just do away with umpires or really do away with older umpires. Because if you look at the ump scorecards on Twitter, the younger umpires have generally done very, very well this year. But it is just another case of Major League Baseball just sabotaging their own product. And I don't know what's worse, if they're doing it intentionally or if they're doing it unintentionally, that they're just so stupid that they keep doing that and hurting their own product. And for the Braves, that could help explain why a lot of their their numbers have them, their expected numbers have them at the very top of Major League Baseball, but we're not seeing it play out because you're getting a lot of ring-ups on pitches that are not strikes, and you're punishing hitters for having a good knowledge of the strike zone something's going to have to get ironed out there, and I'm sure it will at some point. But until that happens, we're just going to continue to call for automated strike zones. And this is coming from somebody that does not particularly want automated strike zones. Those have their own issues. And you can pull up minor league video and see the issues that they've had with it. And there have been issues with, with that and with trusting umpires to be like, no, that's not really a strike. I'll override that. There's a lot of issues with that in play, and they're more worried about things like the pitch clock than making sure that you can call a correct ball or strike. Like, I get the the pitch clock and the game length. The game length means nothing to pretty much anyone. Yes, they're the people that say, oh, baseball should start at 530. That's not going to happen. That's never going to happen because baseball wants the most eyes possible. That means you have to put it in prime time when most people aren't at work. The pitch clock brings its own issues, as Tucker Davidson really, really, put out really well in a tweet thread talking about how it rushes the pitchers and they can't hold runners on the same way. And they, you you lose a lot of the strategy for the so-called strategy buffs in baseball. That actually does affect strategy, but baseball keeps trying out things like putting a runner on second base and extra innings or all this hokey garbage that, that doesn't really do any good and refuses to fix the things that they really do need to focus on. So baseball has got to get out of its own way. Uh, For Ronald Acuna, I, it's going to take a minute. Don't don't be don't be super hasty with him. He he didn't have a spring training and he's got to get his 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 major league timing back, but he's taking good pitches at the plate even if he's getting rung up on them. His eye looks just as good as ever. He got robbed by the dead baseballs for what should have been a long home run yesterday. But overall, the Braves really needed the calendar to turn. They started out May exceptionally well. Let's see them if they can continue it today. Win one of them and I'll be happy. If they can win both, I'll be ecstatic. I'm expecting, at this point, I'm expecting a Kyle Wright victory. Um, But let's see if Charlie can kind of get it together a little bit. Charlie needs a good start. uh, And if he can go out there and the Braves can take one or both today, you'll be sitting pretty for the month of May. And you'll be putting the Mets on notice that this is the Braves' The Braves division, and if you want to win the NL East, it goes through Atlanta. And the Braves can kind of plant their flag in the division, something they've done very, very well the past few seasons. And it all starts again today. You'll have uh, first pitch a little bit weirder for today. I guess they're just going to play back to back and not have much time. Three ten start time for the first game. Again, that'll be Charlie Morton versus Carlos Cookie Carrasco. The second game will start tentatively scheduled to start at six forty, which will be Kyle Wright and uh, and and. David Peterson as the Braves look to take the series from the first-place Mets and show the Mets who's boss. Thank you guys for tuning in. That is going to do it here for the Six Four Three podcast.
0: Bye 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 bye
3: That's all, folks.
1: located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best.